watchers in the fourth dimension. The orchid is bad this morning. I will smoke the birdie. Do not hinder me, or I will strike you with a thunderbolt. Do sit down and have a hamburger. Hello, and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And I do not fear the thunder, you superstitious, dark-dodging decadent. (laughs) That is a great description of myself. (laughs) Anyway, this episode, we are off to ancient times with the show dropping us in the final days of the Trojan War. That's right, we're on to the Mythmakers. With this story, we have new producer John Wiles formally stepping in following the departure of Verity Lambert. He'd been shadowing her since The Chase, and had never actually officially produced a show prior to his stint on Doctor Who. He'd actually had more success as a writer, and was known for his work on The Dancing Bear, Court of Mystery, and Your World. And his only other significant production credit was actually on a 1972 documentary called The History of the Motor Car. So, we're clearly dealing with a heavy hitter here. (laughs) But the best. Exactly. This story was commissioned by the new story editor, Donald Tosh, who invited his old friend Donald Cotton to write the story, and with Don Smith on this podcast, this week is our very own Invasion of the Dons. Hold on, all the time. (laughs) Cotton was known for his work on theatre and radio work, particularly involving stories about ancient Greece. Naturally, he ran with what he knew for this story. His humour did not always go down well with the BBC hierarchy, and his original choice for the title of episode 3 was Is There a Doctor in the Horse? Which was vetoed, sadly. Cotton will actually return for one further writing credit later in this season, writing Riley's all-time favourite story, The Gunfighters. Oh yeah. In the director's seat, we have Michael Leeston-Smith. This is his only contribution to the Doctor Who universe. He cut his teeth on the Quatermass serials in the 50s, Uh, having been a production assistant on Quatermass 2. And just like everyone else at the time, he also worked on Zed cars for a while. After this, in the early 70s, he'd moved to South Africa to work for the South African Bull. And to make Julie happy, for the first time this season, we have some actual incidental music as opposed to stock music, this time composed by Humphrey Searle. Like Cotton, he spent much of his career in mediums other than television, but is best known in film and TV for his work on The Monsters, The Haunting, and The Oresteia, the latter of those being another ancient Greek-themed production. Finally, designing this story, we have our boy, John Wood, who had previously worked on Riley's actual favourite story, The Web Planet, and everyone else's favourite story of season two, The Chase. At least we know it was someone who actually had some design ambition. With that, it's time to move on to actually discussing the story itself, and this time around, our short summary is in the hands of yours truly. Sing to us, O muse, of the final days and fall (laughs) of the noble city of Troy, where Hector, tamer of horses, fought valiantly in battle with swift-footed Achilles. Sing to us of cunning Odysseus, who sought the intervention of Zeus, son of Kronos, who may inspire the fall of Troy at the hands of the bronze-armoured Achaeans. Sing to us of Troilus and Cressida, and of her other suitor, Diomedes, master of the war cry. Sing to us of blue temples and of wooden horses. Oh, and do it with a good sense of humour, will you? Thanks, love. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) We join this episode, jumping straight into the action, with Temple of Secrets. Which, if nothing else, is a great title. (laughs) It really is. All the titles for this serial are great. Even the one they didn't use. 
The one that they didn't use was better than the one they did use for that episode. I have to agree with that. Absolutely. 100%. I thought Death of a Spy was kind of weak as far as the title goes, but Horse of Destruction makes me laugh every time I think of it. So <laughs> points for definitely, that. Definitely falls into another metal album title yes. from Doctor Who t- uh, serials. I am severely allergic to horses, so for me, every horse is a horse of destruction. <laughs> it also reminds me of the horse uh, outside the Denver airport with the bread eyes. Oh, that thing's disturbing. Right? Absolutely <laughs> creepy. So we're on to a, a missing story again, and I know we all had the option of either doing the reconstruction or the narrated audio, so who did what on this? I, I stuck with the reconstruction. I stuck with the reconstruction as well. I did the narrated audio. I did mostly both. I did the reconstruction first, and then I listened to the audio, except for the final episode, because I just didn't have time. Got it. This one starts in a way that really made me wish that we had this. You know, we start with a fight scene, and those are always obviously very, very visual. Absolutely. And then one of the things that I noticed is that while we have sound, the sound quality is not good because yes it's great that we have incidental music that's actually written for you know this the story it's off you can just tell like it's it's warped or distorted um and it makes me very sad also the was it was anyone else feel like the the sound mix was really messed up as well like during that scene where it's like we have we, we set up our, our fight scene and then we then cut to inside the TARDIS of the TARDIS crew watching the fight scene and it seems like the sound of the fight scene was bleeding over so much, it was actually really hard to hear the conversation taking place between the Doctor and Vicky and Stephen. And I just thought that was just, it, I just think there was maybe something wrong with the mix. I had to actually listen to it a couple times to parse everything out because it just seemed like the background sound of the fight was just way too high. It was actually recorded from someone's television. That's, e- that's exactly what I was about to say. I think that's the result of someone jerry-rigging bits of audio recording equipment to be able to record sound from their TV. This is not the BBC who retained the sound. They recovered it from a fan. So speaking of sounds being rather obnoxious, did everyone <laughs> in this serial come from the Lord Flashheart School of Acting? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was very overblown. Oh, I mean, oh. saying over the top is is really underselling it it was miles above the top yeah Uh, and and everyone was turned up all the way to 11 i mean no matter i'm trying to think there's only two characters i think uh harris was one of them that just which the character in the way that uh, he was portrayed was really really funny to me you just seem to have kind of a foolish kind of like okay kind of attitude (laughs) while everyone else was like just always so aggressive and loud. It was yeah. him and um, probably uh, Menelaus because he was like, I just want to leave. I don't love Helen. So can we just <laughs> go, brother? Like, I don't want to be here anymore. So yeah. It was Odysseus, especially, that was really just like, wow. It was very much played like some of the British comedies of the time, kind of overblown, over the top. Things like um, Round the Horn were doing this. And I mean, they, they took this concept and just, we kind of had the comedy historical before in the Romans, but it doesn't, didn't take it to the same level of farce as this. The humor was really cracking me up on this one. It really made me laugh. Like it's so ridiculous and so wonderful and hilarious at the same time. 
And like the the way the you know Achilles kills Hector because the doctor shows up, then Odysseus comes in and mocks him, and 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 Achilles is like, no no no, it, I I did it really, it it was me honestly. And you know if if you look back at at the Iliad, Achilles is kind of effete anyway because he's got this extreme bromance with his friend Patroclus who was killed at the hands of Hector. Mm-hmm. So and you know historical thought and and um. Or certainly the thought of classicists has been that maybe there was something romantic about that relationship. And so the the idea that Odysseus, who is extremely manly, is is mocking Achilles for running and being swift-footed, which was his actual Homeric epithet, is is quite funny. Also, I was thinking specifically in this first episode, Don made reference to the Lord Flashheart School of Acting. There was one line in particular that sounded like a Lord Flashheart-like joke. And it was uh, a Menelaus uh, to Agamemnon. He says, why, that'd be suicide. And Agamemnon says, well, you don't know until you've tried it, do you? <laughs> I mean, that's it. That is, that is a flat. That's a flash heart line all the way. What I also find really funny is, um, so this is, you know, kind of taken as a comedy. It actually took me a while to feel the comedy bit because I was just like, why is this so over the top? And then I think I finally had a realization of, oh, this is actually like comedy. So it took me a while. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why it took me a while to really feel like I even liked these these episodes. But I, I also found it funny that in one of these, uh, the doctor said, like, you know, they won't appreciate Stephen's sense of humor. And I'm like, well, they might not like his, but he'll probably make fun of them because dear God, why? <laughs> so we we get a bunch of kind of petty politics amongst the Greek leaders, which when you think about it is probably how most wars go anyway. The, the senior generals have that kind of petty politics. And I think there's a bit of commentary on recent wars and current wars from the 60s in this. But there's that great line that really cracked me up where they're talking about the ongoing war and Menelaus just goes, oh, not another 10 years. like he is just so over this and he's like i want to go home now please don't even really like helen even some of the i mean even with the reconstruction i feel like so many of the shots in themselves seem to be hinting at humor there was a bizarre at the very end maybe of the first episode there's this bizarre mention of showing the doctor like agamemnon says come sit down and have a ham bone and there's this awkward shot of a piece of this giant piece of ham i was like that's how that's how you close the scene okay i mean it's almost absurdist humor in a way i really want this to come back so we can see if we get that awkward shot in the actual episode speaking of of the absurd i love how the cyclops turned out to be our friend Tutlemko again Oh, like, yeah. It's his third appearance, and it's just like, uh, he's just back. He's just like, what's up? Sadly, it is also his last appearance. <laughs> so that is the last of that particular Indiana Jones connection. That's so sad. He has range. <laughs> I was hoping if anyone could help me. I was kind of confused at the beginning when the doctor decides to go out the TARDIS. He mentions Vicky hurting her ankle. And maybe it's because Mission to the Unknown was, you know, sandwiched in between, but I'm trying to recall a hurt ankle. I think she did do that at the end of Galaxy 4. I think you're right. I think that's still a bit of a continuity nod. It's it's tenuous, for sure. Well, then once again, I mean, you know, we talk about the humor, but also let's discuss like the main plot device here, and which is that the show is doing what it did in the Aztecs and doing something that was often done on the original run of Star Trek, the outside, you know, time traveling, space traveling 
person comes back to a lesser advanced mm -hmm. society and gets mistaken as a god. And this time, the old hypocrite just runs with it. Oh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> I would do the same thing. After all the shit he gave Barbara. I was just, and it's funny because, you know, it's like, all right, Achilles is like, oh, yeah, you're totally Zeus. And he's like, yeah, sure, this is great. And then Odysseus comes in, and he's like, that's funny. And like, <laughs> is making fun of him. And I'm like, either one, he just really doesn't believe it. Or two, you really don't care how you treat your gods, and that's going to bite you in the ass. Oh, wait, that's why he goes on that, like, 10-year journey of not getting home. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that wasn't because he pissed off Zeus. That was because he pissed off Poseidon. It's all the same. <laughs> and this, like, Cyclops isn't actually, like, you know, a monster Cyclops, so it could be that it was Zeus instead of Poseidon. That's the nice thing about setting it in myth. They, they can take a few liberties with it. Well, then, the, also, what I think adds to the humor is that, once again, the plot device comes forward once more, and Stephen gets mistaken as Apollo. I mean, he initially denies that he's a god, and then kind of mocks Odysseus and goes, oh, yeah, I'm obviously Apollo. Right. Yeah, I don't think he's actually thought to be a god, honestly. Like, I don't think that was ever going to be the case. If it was Ian, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah ian hands down would be apollo would be like oh yeah look at that steven he should have kept the beard <laughs> we end this episode finding out the trojans have stolen the tardis which leads us into episode two small profit quick return which as a title i love yes it is an incredible title yeah it's it's a good one i don't think we'll ever get another title quite like it in doctor who sadly Earlier, I think Riley mentioned like Paris wasn't as over the top. Well, he might not have been as over the top. He's still the worst. Yeah, he's. Oh my goodness! I like I have I have something in here and it says I hope Stephen kills him because like I'm just like I'm done. I'm over you, Paris. Like just get over yourself. He he definitely feels like the fool character in this serial to me. I was going to say, are you guys familiar with uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus? Oh yeah. Oh no, I've never uh, heard of it. <laughs> the upper class twit. Oh yeah, he definitely has that feel. That's yeah. Paris. I thought that the Trojans were wonderful. Like, yeah, Paris was that upper class twit, but just in general, they they were so much more enjoyable than the Greeks. They were enjoyable, and they were they were all different. Like Paris is, you know, the twit. Priam is like, all right, everything's just like hunky dory. I'm gonna believe that everything that everyone says. And then you had Cassandra, who was like, I hate everyone. Oh my god, all of you are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> she was also the worst. It was just nice to see they had like different, like more facets and things, whereas the Greeks were all the same and just hated each other. Yeah. So we actually have some fairly prominent actors here so paris was played by barry ingham who we've already seen because he was aladdin in the uh peter cushing movie we've already watched so this oh, is his second okay. the second time we've seen him and then max adrian who was priam was best known as the stage actor but he was a fairly big name hartnell also hated him because hartnell was homophobic and kind of racist and didn't like the fact that this guy who was both Jewish and gay was in his show. <laughs> kind of gets, get, shows you where this is going. Yeah, that was one of the hissy fits Hartnell had around this, the time of this story and kind of sets the scene of this battle between the production staff and the star of the show. And eventually one of them's going to go. I wonder if, 
I mean, other than, you know, circumstances with the doctor being in the horse and everything. But I wonder if there's also a reason to keep them separate for the entirety of the serial. You mean but. the doctor and the Trojans? Uh, yeah, and and preem just to like keep those actors not on set. I think that was part of it. Time. I mean, certainly yeah. Billy thought he was being upstaged by these guys, both Barryingham and Max Adrian. It, it started right. getting a little hairy here. I always, as a Doctor Who fan, always enjoy a shot of the closet of the TARDIS. Yes, <laughs> with the entire wardrobe with Vicky. I think out of all the scenes of this serial, that one would be the one that I wish that they still had video. With. That would have been very fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it's also, you know, somewhat telling because, you know, in previous seasons and I think part of it was just it was easier when they had them in ridiculous outfits that didn't necessarily fit the time. And now they're like, you know what, let's actually try to like fit the time periods that we're in. It's just interesting. And I again, yes, I love seeing the closet. The closet's my favorite. <laughs> I'm also trying to put wrap my head around if why they wanted to rename Vicky. Because they've, they've got to signpost that she's going to leave. I was confused by that a lot, too. It's to have her leave, and since they put her in a love story uh, with, was it, with Troilus, there's, you know, that story of Troilus and Cressida. So they're like, oh, if we're going to make this a love interest, then we should do it as this one that was, you know, I think Shakespeare did a story on it. So let's have her have the same name so that that all fits together and fits the mythos. So Troilus and Cressida comes from Chaucer. Shakespeare did do a play on it, but um, Ch- Chaucer originated it in the medieval period, so it's not even a part of the ancient epic. It's, it's a later invention. Troilus and, and Diomedes were mentioned in, in the Iliad, but Cressida was not. But, um, yeah, it was basically just a, how do we get rid of Vicky? Oh, hey, we can have it be a love interest because there's only one way to have females leave a show and that's for them to fall in love. And how can we do that? Oh, let's Leona take this other brother and, oh, we can make that work. They, they totally Susaned her. Yep. Ugh. Which I think is what impacts my enjoyment of this serial the most. So they were originally going to have Vicky leave during, well, John Wiles got fed up of her because Maureen O'Brien kept criticizing scripts. And they were originally going to have her leave during the Dalek master plan. And you guys will see in a few weeks' time how they would have originally written her out. Because it's still very obvious where that would have happened. I See, just because of this, I'm already not a fan of John Wiles. <laughs> because she was the best companion that they've had. And, you know, he's just coming in. Your actors know good scripts do the right yeah. thing and listen to them instead of being a dumbass and firing them. The big thing was she apparently criticized Galaxy 4 too much. <laughs> uh, she and probably I, didn't criticize it enough. Right? And I, I, I will point out of everything we have done so far, <laughs> Galaxy 4 has the lowest average score of any single story. And I, think, I think time has proven her correct. I mean, like I've said before, she is the template for virtually every female companion to come. And there's a reason for that. She, she worked. She was good. Exactly. No more, hey, you should have listened to Vicky. It's so sad. One last note on that I, I did actually write down. Please don't tell me she falls for Paris because I will scream. Because that's what I thought it was going at first. And I was like, oh, how, oh no. At least she chose a better brother. Heading back to Paris, when he gets sent out to go and find Achilles and he's calling for him, I love how when he meets Stephen or Diomedes, he's, he just he doesn't want to fight. He's like, 
I think the exact line was, I think this business has just been carried a bit too far. And when Stephen yields, he just goes, well, this kind of thing just isn't done. (laughs) (laughs) I was dying laughing at that. I was really enjoying this at this point. I thought it was so funny. The entire serial is done as a comedy. And he's, like you said before, playing the full character throughout. And I, that's why, to me, I greatly enjoyed him. Because he, the, the way it was, the performance was done, you can just sense that he's a complete idiot. <laughs> and it's so funny hearing him give these lines. Just like you can just tell that he's just like, just like with no mind, just walking from one place to another, just with not a thought in his head. <laughs> I do want to touch upon the doctor real quick. Why in the world does the doctor sit here? He's like, all right, so we have this myth that Homer had, and it's like, all right, there's the horse. The horse works. It is something that would truly actually work. And he's like, no, 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 we can't do that. So I'm going to build a flying machine. Doctor, you, you can't build a flying machine in two days. Like, it, it just, why? I was fairly impressed they built the Trojan horse in two days. That seemed- <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> How did they manage Man, that? The carpenters <laughs> are the unsung heroes of this serial. <laughs> Those Greeks, they certainly brought along a uh, a big crowd of skilled people to help them with these things. And lots of wood. <laughs> <laughs> lots uh, and lots of wood. So, Don, are you I, saying I, that the Greeks have wood? Yes, I am saying that the Greeks have wood. Excellent. I was saying that with the flying machine, I feel like the doctor was just, the doctor was just screwing with like, I just felt like he didn't like them. And he was just like, ah, I'm just going to screw around for a couple of days. Because I remember he gets shocked when I think it was Odysseus tells him like, well, all right, well, you're the one that's going to pilot this. And then all of a sudden he starts backtracking. So I feel like he was doing it as a means of like, you know, just as a like a wild, you know, wily coyote kind of like ridiculous invention trap to like hurt someone, whoever tries to do it. Could be. I like it. I think we can move on to episode three now. The death of a spy. You know, so we, we end the previous episode with Cassandra telling them that Stephen and Vicky are spies. So we're kind of getting the implication that it's going to be one of them who dies. Not like they listen to Cassandra anyway. Right? So. I can't say I blame him. She's really annoying. She just yells. Yeah. If she didn't yell at them, they'd probably, you know, want to listen to her. But no, she's just like, listen to me because I know all else. And oh my God, like, ah. I feel like the script was missing a scene. Of like, whenever she said, oh, this will be a harbinger of our doom, some of them should have made a hilarious point of like, this is the 10th harbinger of doom <laughs> you've told us about in the last two weeks. Uh, and, and honestly, the way the script has been going on the comedy, it, it wouldn't be too surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's kind of the whole character of Cassandra anyway. In, right, right. In yeah. antiquity. Yeah, it's not exactly surprising they're going that far. We also got the doctor a little bit, again, with the flying machine. He's like, oh, hey, look, do you see this paper airplane? <laughs> this is like, yeah, it, it, it's made out of paper. Yeah, my, That's my kids really make useful. those. That's great. That was <laughs> <laughs> so, so silly. You know, one of the things that I did enjoy uh, in episode three was there was that setup of when Stephen is able to get to Vicky and explain to him how, like, so... As we know, like, so on the Trojan side, Vicky has now been tasked with having to come up with a solution to defeat the Greeks, and the doctor is given the opposite from the Greeks. Da, 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 da. So I like how in that scene where Stephen explains to her, 
how it's now set up to be like the Doctor versus Vicky battle of wits. Obviously, though, because he's going to use the Trojan horse, I was kind of hoping for like a little bit more play with that or like a little dive into that a little bit more. I want to see, you know, Vicky doing stuff because she knows the Doctor incredibly well. She could probably come up with some really good little tricks or something. I thought they were going to do something with that as well. And then they just kind of dropped it. Yeah, it was really exciting right then. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is, you got my attention. And then it's like, okay, well, then it's just put this up. I think that's almost an analogy to the theme of the Iliad itself, in that people think of the Iliad as being about Greeks versus Trojans, and it's not. It's about the Trojan War, but what it's really about is the plight of mortals. And here it's kind of taking that approach in that these two are pitted against each other, but that's not really the driving force of the story. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. <laughs> well, if they had brought in more with the Greek gods other than just saying that the Doctor is Zeus, but they actually had some more gods involved, I might agree with you. Because yes, the original Iliad is like, it, the gods are all over the place. If they had played on that a little bit more, I would probably agree. It's in this episode that there was a new classics miners can help me with this. <laughs> um, Odysseus uh, inside the Trojan horse with the doctor says, what is it now, doctor? Upon my soul, you're making me as nervous as Bacante uh, at her first orgy. Why don't you try to get some sleep? One. Um, doctor okay, who just British mentioned stand- an orgy. I think that should be what you're <laughs> focusing on. <laughs> I know exactly. Like British standards, one, two. I know of Bacchus. I don't know of Bacant. Bacante? Who? Bacante sauce? What? what? Bacante sauce? I have no idea. So, Bacante, that is just a standard term for a, a priestess of Bacchus. Okay. Right. Going to get on my classic high horse here is is somewhat anachronistic for the time because Bacchus was the Roman name for Dionysus. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's this year then... ruined. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Everyone, go home now. And then with the reference of orgy, orgy doesn't necessarily mean what we like to think it means. Mainly the all the the sex and stuff involved. Um, oftentimes orgy is really just like a ridiculous like frat party or, or something more along those lines. Kind of depends on where you're going with orgy. With so. a with a Bacchus orgy, yeah, I guess you're right. Just like yeah. the drinking of wine in in, in excess. Yes. But you know, as we know, what the drinking of wine in excess sometimes leads yeah. to. Contextually, yes, it's... contextually, it sounds like it means exactly what we would think it means. Yes, it's just that they're able to kind of get around it because using the word in and of itself doesn't mean anything bad. But yes, in the context, it it does do that. I mean, this was going out at five thirty on a Saturday evening. Educational. Oh man, <laughs> some kids kid got just a rude awakening. Word. <laughs> Can we talk about Troilus a little bit and uh, the performance of the actor playing him? Oh, he's, he's such he's, a he's... sensitive soul. He's 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 taking he he's he's marrying our beloved Vicky basically he they're going off together you know is he a good match for her that's my question like are we satisfied I mean we don't want Vicky to leave but are we satisfied with this guy There's a few problems that I have one why in the world does Vicky want to be left in a place where there's like no science like she's from the future yeah. and she's always been making fun of all of like the medication and all of these other things and I'm like you're really just 
okay with saying in that didn't make sense to me. Hey, love is love, man. Now, Troilus as a character. Not without air conditioning. Of the brothers, Troilus is the best. So, yeah. you know, it's like if she has to pick, at least she picked that one. At least it wasn't Paris. I would have I would have killed myself. Uh, Maybe not. <laughs> I would have just gone crazy. It did take her a while to figure it out. Part of it was Steven making fun of her. And she's like, oh, does he really like me? And I was like, oh, no, we're not. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, See, I don't so, know about him. I just I don't like the fact that she got totally Susan'd. Yeah. And it just it wasn't appropriate for her character. And the uh, other thing about it is that much similar to Susan is that in both situations, if you compare the two, it's it's not just that they're in a certain time period, it's also that they're really left in incredibly vulnerable situations. I know that, like, you know, Troilus's cousin, oh, there he is. I'm like, well, that's just three people on horses to them out in, like, just the, out in the wilderness. Troy has just been taken over. I, I don't know. That doesn't feel like I have much confidence, like, of a happy life for her. I just imagine, like, she's just going to be on the run. Yeah, it's... <laughs> from, the, from here on out. At least it's Aeneas, though. You know, he's actually kind of a little helpful. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to have their own mini odyssey for a little while, and then they're going to go off and found Rome. That's how this goes. Well, see me without my, without my classics education. <laughs> I'm, damn you, U.S. schools. <laughs> they kind of, at the very end, set up Virgil's Aeneid, which was a Roman epic as opposed to a Greek epic, but they wanted to establish the glory of Rome in... in an even older civilization. So they had the survivors of Troy go on the run for a little bit, go off and spend some time in northern Africa for a while, and then land in Italy, have a little war in Italy, and then combine with the, the native Latins and found Rome together. So that's, that's what's in Vicky's future. Yeah, I just realized, I think I would, maybe we've jumped, but are, I think because we're talking about Trollis, or I feel like we're talking about episode four. Is there anything else about episode three that we wanted to cover? The death of the spy is really lame. Yes. <laughs> yeah. True. It, it, you know, we, we're led to expect it's either going to be Stephen or Vicky, and it ends up being Cyclops. They've wasted Tutlemco by not even giving him any lines, so he doesn't have the opportunity to proclaim anyone as truly his brother. <laughs> <laughs> we do have Paris being wonderful after that and saying, now why did you have to go and do that? It felt very Kenneth Williams in the Carry On movie. <laughs> were you really expecting them to to kill off either vicky or steven well no not at this point so i'm like have you seen the show come on i'm not gonna do that here. oh my gosh <laughs> you guys have no idea <laughs> uh, you know as, as we move into episode four this one starts getting really dark okay this is where incredibly what riley said was it's it's comedy all the way through it's comedy about three-fourths of the way through. Because with this episode, there is a sudden tonal shift. So, episode four, Horse of Destruction. It's a huge tonal shift. A lot of, a lot of killing in this one. <laughs> it's like we've had this comedy historical romp. Oh, and by the way, we're going to kill half of them. <laughs> I didn't mention her last week, or maybe not even the week before, but this is something Sandifer talks about. So, last time round, we had the Doctor not showing up and everyone dies. So, you know, strike one on the Doctor. He kind of failed there. This time the Doctor shows up and half of the cast still dies anyway, and they barely escape with their lives. 
So mm-hmm. strike two for the Doctor kind of being ineffective. I mean, maybe they're just trying to add a bit more risk and stakes to the show. You know, just try to shake it up a little bit. This is building to something, guys. One thing that was a missed opportunity in episode four, I felt like I was really disappointed not to get a complete and utter shouting match between Odysseus and Cassandra. I think those two <laughs> actors really just like tearing into each other that I was hoping for at least one little tête-en-tête. But um, no. Oh, endless shouting. She at least had the statement about it going to take him 10 years to see home, right? Yeah. I didn't think that up. Okay. Yeah, so she at least got that in. She's yeah. like, oh, hey, we'll be 10 more years till you see home. And I'm like, oh, look at them. But yeah, that was about it. You're, you're right, Don. You know, the, the, it is a tonal shift. I feel like it's harder to pick up on because it's a reconstruction, because so much of the violence is depicted visually and not verbally. I agree. And so therefore, yeah. So I mean, like I said, I, I while watching the reconstruction, it's like, especially in our day and age of being desensitized to violence <laughs> on screen, it's kind of like, Hey, there's a still of a person holding a sword, and now there's a still of a person, you know, flat on their stomach on the ground. Pretty much, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. But you're absolutely right with yeah. that. And I was more taken by the tonal shift of Vicky, you know, just like, uh, yeah. And and then the scene of her going inside the TARDIS and then leaving it and like, you know, like touching the TARDIS. I thought she hugs the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah, and it's very sweet. And I thought that was a really good touch. And it really reminded me a lot of this type of tonal shift you often get with modern who in which you'll have a fun silly episode and then they'll like punch you in the gut with something really emotional the big heartstring you know? tug and the music swells exactly and all that stuff. Yeah. exactly that's what that reminded me of it felt very gone with the wind to me you know where um scarlet is talking about rebuilding uh tara mm-hmm. oh. and here you've got <laughs> vicky being like yes we will rebuild troy it's like i, I got a real gone with the wind vibe there you can see what my thoughts are on Gone with the Wind, and it's not <sighs> pleasant. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can I can see that. I mean, the fire helps a little bit, you know, when there's smoke and stuff everywhere. What I'm also surprised about is Vicky had told Troilus to go. She's like, you need to get out there. So then him and Achilles, you know, they, they fight. They both get injured. Achilles is worse. Achilles probably dies from that. It's hard to really tell from the reconstruction. And then... It got really, like, Troilus got real mad at Vicky, and, like, it really seemed like Troilus might want to kill her. I was like, oh, yeah. this might end in tragedy, because Troilus might actually, you know, kill Vicky. And I was like, oh, that's not gonna, I don't want that to happen. So yeah. I was actually a little bit worried about it. There was some tension there, definitely. It's kind of interesting how this episode is where we really start to diverge from the myth. So Achilles would have been killed by Paris, not Troilus. Likewise, Troilus would have died at the hands of Diomedes, aka Stephen, and then Cressida ran off with Diomedes in the myth, or I mm-hmm. guess the, the Chaucerian myth. So here we're starting to see a fairly radical divergence from that. There are some nice pieces, some nice nods here to the established myth as well. I, I love how Cressida curses Odysseus, which basically sets up the Odyssey. Cassandra's the worst, but she did set it up. I kind of wish we'd dropped back in to see Achilles in the middle of the Odyssey. That would have been cool as a follow-up story. So we get to, they're going into the TARDIS and like Stephen is delirious. Yes. Stephen is injured and all he wants to do is he's like, is Vicky safe? We need to save Vicky. 
is Vicky okay? And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, this is so sad. And the doctor can't really explain what's happening. And it's just, I have so many feelings for Steven. Her goodbye and how the rest of the TARDIS crew react to her uh, is something so reminiscent of future companion departures on New Who. I, I didn't really care for, you're right, that weird tension that there is uh, when she's off to go see Troilus and try to like reconcile with, you know, or at least clear his mind that she didn't betray him by just sending him out there. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't want to see Vicky leave, but I really, really enjoyed that part. And I, I feel like mm-hmm. we should talk about Katarina. Or as I said, yeah. wait, who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, so she shows up in episode four. And apparently she was meant to have some bigger scenes, but they got cut. That would have been helpful. Or maybe showed up at some point earlier in the serial, maybe. Yeah. It would have had so much more impact if we would have realized why Vicky, for lack of a better term, chose her. Could we get an understanding, like some sort of like connection between the two? You know, that would have been a lot more helpful. It would have had a lot more significance than just like, yeah, here's this here's some ra- random lady. Well, I think the reason for that is that John Wiles needs a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh... So um, one of the scenes that got cut was there was meant to be a conversation between Katharina and Vicky in which Katharina says that, you know, all the recent prophecies had foretold her death. So Vicky assumes that Katharina's death was meant to come at Troy. So she pushes her into the TARDIS to try and save her. That would have been a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Just any kind of setup for who she was. Something. She's not a great fit for the TARDIS of, of, of Trav being a companion. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, I, I still think you're a god. And the doctor's like, uh, but I'm, I'm not. And she's like, no, 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 you are. And it's just like, this is not going to go well. Yeah, more to come on that. Yeah, I just, I don't like the, the sudden change in companions. I still feel like we're still getting used to Steven. Yeah. And I, I just... This is just the worst possible decision to get rid of such an incredible character at this point in the show. I I actually completely agree with that. I, I like Steven so far. But He's growing on me. Should have kept yeah, the beard. It's... I'm going to agree. <laughs> yes. My problem with Steven is just that he needs a Vicky counterpart. He needs someone to play off of who's smarter than he is. And I know Katarina is not going to be that. We're going to get some good characters who he can play off in the next serial, but yeah, it's definitely not Katarina. We were talking about the serials, uh, the the titles to each, the title of each episode of the serial, um, and we were disappointed with the third one. And while Horse of Destruction is very, very good, um, I have pulled out two other ones that might, I think, could have been used for episode four. Okay. Well, Wonders Never Grease. (laughs) Hey. All right. (laughs) And then last one is Because of the Romance, Take Another Grease of My Heart. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I had to do it. We end with the convoluted plot device of Stephen being injured. So, having been injured in the fighting, the doctor now needs to go and find a cure for Stephen. Messy end to it, but, you know. It's a, it's a cliffhanger of sorts. Could have been worse. It could have ended on a shot of a ham bone as our cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on to everything else, Katarina, so Adrian Hill, who played her, so Adrian Hill was actually cast by Douglas Camfield, who will direct the next story, 
because a number of her scenes for that story were filmed before her scenes for this one, which tells you how late in the day this was. And uh, prior to working on Doctor Who, she worked mostly in theatre, and after this had more success in radio and theatre, and then later became a drama teacher before she sadly passed away from cancer in the 90s. On that rather sad note, let's move on to our metrics, for which we now only have the camp count. Does overacting count as camp? I think it does. Do, do we just want to give this a 10, which was the maximum we've done before? We did 10 before. I don't think it's quite worth 10. Okay, I felt like uh, A, Priam's very, count, uh, very camp, and Paris is very camp. I would, I would err on the side of caution and say 5, but... So, kind of camp, but not absurdly camp. All right, five it is. On to our scores, and I get to go first this time. So, I really, really enjoyed this one. I thought it was really funny. It tied into my love of the classics. And um, I thought the final episode, the tonal shift was quite stark, but it almost fits with the vibe of where the, the time is so we're in the middle of the vietnam war right now we've got britain on the verge of invading rhodesia and we here we have a story that really portrays the horrors of war and goes from uh, almost an oh what a lovely war vibe to oh my god this is horrific so I, th I think that really works so i'm going to give this eight horses of destruction out of ten don over to you i didn't like it as much as you did but I did enjoy it. I found the script to be very well done. There were lots of clever puns and wordplay, which I really enjoyed, so it tended to move on at a good clip. But the thing I can't forgive it for isn't the fault of the scriptwriter. I think I've, I've gone over that. There was just no real good reason from a character perspective for Vicky to leave. Um, it is one of those serials that I w really would like to see recovered because I think I would enjoy it even more to actually see it and see what all they did with it. But I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. And I forgot what clever measurement I was going to give it. Uh, 7.5 <laughs> questionable flying machines out of 10. Yes. Julie, over to you. It actually took me to talking to you guys, you know, a little bit before this, we started recording this to actually really quite understand that this is more of a comedy. I had a lot of problems adjusting because I love the Greek mythos so much. I don't know the number of versions of Iliad, the Odyssey and anything, you know, remotely related to it. I have read or watched. Um, so it was definitely a tonal shift from what I'm used to as most of those have all been, uh, from a more serious perspective. Um, as for the story itself, um, I think the plot is actually pretty good. Um, how they, you know, separated the characters and everything didn't feel contrived. Um, the acting is where I had most of the problems because it was so overacted. I think that they could have toned it down a little bit and still had the comedic feel and just not be at 11 the entire time. Um, so... I am going to give it a 6.5 uh, Greeks and a horse out of 10. <laughs> it's a very small horse. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you got half a Greek and a horse. What happened to the other half? <laughs> you don't want to know, man. 
You do not want to know. <laughs> this got as dark as the story did. All right, Riley, over to you. I really, really enjoyed this. It was, uh, it's, it was like just grabbed you right off the bat. Had it, you know, it really moved with the pace. It was hilarious. I loved all the different characters and the and how each character was like. I don't know. It's it's just seemed like a wonderful comedy of how each character would like play off the other one of like Odysseus being loud, Paris being a fool, Priam, and I mean, it it was it. Was, I really really enjoyed this, and I don't usually enjoy the historicals, uh, even though it's mythological. Um, yeah, it, it was it was wonderful, and I like I mentioned before, I really enjoyed the 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 hard shift and from something really really funny to losing Vicky. And I, I, I really like that. I guess this would, uh, for lack of a better term, what they would call back in like the mid '90s uh, a dramedy, so to speak, because of that sudden pull right there. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it could have had a lot of potential if they filled in under those things that we mentioned, uh, tone down the acting a bit, uh, you know, added a reason why, you know, Vicky maybe more understanding why Vicky would leave, would be more fleshed out, and so on and so forth. But I really, really enjoyed it a lot. I, I it's it's amazing that this same writer wrote the gunslingers. Um <clears throat> I would say on my metrics I would get this eight cyclops out of ten. So I guess that makes it an octoclops. That's my last pun. <clears throat> that actually gives us a story average of 7.5, which so far is the best story of the season, which I did not expect from this, but I'm happy because I really enjoyed this one. That is just about all the time we have for this episode. Next time, we're off to Kemble to discuss the next parts of the looming Dalek epic that is coming. In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. And you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Watches4D. And as a reminder, you can also always email us at Watches4D at gmail.com. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Filipek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Invasion of the Dons, was recorded on Wednesday the 23rd of October 2019. And always remember, when the regulars are in the story, half the cast still die. Well, at least it's slightly better than last time. <laughs>